Welcome to the Buy Box Bandits podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Buy Box Bandits podcast. Today, we're joined by Thomas from Fast Track FBA, world traveler, virtual assistant enthusiast, got a couple different Amazon businesses he's working on and businesses in general. So we're really excited to have him on. We we're just hanging out in Miami like three weeks ago, two weeks ago. So we're excited to, to talk about that. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Honestly, really good. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. So I know a lot about what you currently do, and it was cool, like hanging out on the yacht and everything. But I don't know a lot of your backstory with everything. So I think that's a great place to start. If you want to kind of fill us in on how you got into this stuff and everything. Cool. Okay. So I'm English. You can probably tell by the accent. I have that that going for me. Um, I she's I grew up in England. I studied electronic engineering. I failed my degree. I did three years out of a four-year degree and went, I'm not doing that. Hated it. Um, then I went into bar management and I worked for like one of the top bar country companies in the UK. Uh, no, sorry, I worked for a student union, uh, did that for two years. Then I went into bar management, worked for, I think about four years, three, four years, I think it was, became a general manager. Uh, at one point, I, I, I opened, ran my own bar which was doing about two million pounds in its first year and I had to write the entire budgets I had to hire all the staff like do everything it was really cool like really really cool uh absolutely love that and then I hated working weekends and nighttime you know like Friday and Saturday night I'd normally get home at 6am in the morning it was like a restaurant nightclub should we say and I think I had 40 staff five line managers Oh yeah, well back then that was way before COVID. So I'm, as you say, I'm 37, so I'm a little bit older. Just turned, and um, and then I went into bowling alleys because I wanted my like evenings back or my weekends a bit more. So did that for about a year and a half, and I got fired for gross misconduct. Like and I, as you do, do really well. And then I went into what did I do? Then I went into recruitment for two years because I wanted to learn how to sell. They didn't know how, like what the sales process was. And I thought that'd be a really good skill to learn. And then at the time I was living in Norwich, which is kind of like the middle of nowhere in the UK or end of nowhere. And my girlfriend at the time, she was living in or studying in London. And so she didn't want to come back to Norwich. And so I, I said, look, I don't really want to stay here can I come live with you in London? So I moved to London. I spent two years in London. At that time, I uh, I went to, I spent a week with my sister and her boyfriend at the time, now her husband. And he'd done this company. He created, he used to work in procurement, which is basically buying and selling. It's kind of like drop shipping, but you kind of get the payment. It's kind of like drop shipping, but for like big organizations. And you, what do you do? You basically he was doing procurement into African mining sites for a job and he just started his own company. And it was in the first year he was working in his bedroom. And in that first year, he went on to a million dollars in sales, which was absolutely a million pounds in sales into African mining sites. And I spent one week with him, which was the worst week he'd ever had, like yeah. completely dead. And he would be like, Tom, um, this mining site want this order. And it was like, you know, circuit breakers and like, um, you know, weird things like lubricants for mining equipment. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like you call up the supplier or you go online, you find the prices, you add on your margin on top and then you give them the order, you give them the quote and then they say yes and they give you a purchase order. And then you take the purchase order to a finance company, they give you the money and then you go and buy it, ship it to them, take the money back and then pay off the finance company. And I was like, you don't even need money to do this business. It's incredible. So because I learned how to do procurement into African mining sites in a week, I said, well, if you can do it in African mining sites, you must be able to do it into the UK. And I looked at, at the time, tendering UK government. So I set up my first company, which was public sector procurement. And in the first year, we probably did like 100, I say we, me on my own, 160,000 in sales. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. And I hated it, absolutely hated it. And if you've ever dealt with the government, they're the worst people in the world to ever deal with. <laughs> and I was like, no, I do not want to be doing this. Um, but I loved the idea that, you, know, you can build a business and it's really good, but I just hated my customer. And then we had opened up lots of wholesalers and distributors and even manufacturers. And I was looking at, instead of doing B2B, could I do B2C? And I looked at eBay, didn't like the distribution model. I looked at Amazon, saw FBA, loved the distribution model. Started buying, guess what? Stationery from my suppliers. 
that Amazon was selling on. I didn't understand this at the time. So I was only buying stationery, which Amazon was selling on because I was like, oh, it works really well. And then obviously I would come on the listing and then Amazon would tank the price and I'd make no money at all. And I was willing to give up. I was like, I spoke to, I was working in the co-working space and I spoke to my friend was like, I'm not making any money. I'm like, I hate this. I'm not making money. I love the model. And he was like, he said to me, well, if you could sell something else, what would it be? And it was around October at that time. And I said, I'm not sure. And he said, well, what's selling now? And I was like, well, Christmas is coming, perhaps toys. And obviously what's the first toy that you think about is Lego. So I literally just went on to Google and typed in Lego. And then I, there's a company in the UK called Tesco and they had a website called Tesco Direct. It's kind of like their outlet store, massive stuff. And I literally saw Lego for going like a third of the price it was on Amazon. And that's how I got started in OA. I was about to give up. I'd already had an Amazon selling account. I was doing wholesale originally wasn't making money at all the margins of razor thin amazon were competing against me and then i realized that you could buy stuff from tesco i was like wow I spoke to my prep center because i was living in london at the time did that and i started my oa journey um i was probably in london for like another year I i've always had staff i've always like at, at age 21 when i was working in student unions i had six bars and six different geographic locations i had to drive between them and i had 120 staff so I'm always used to managing people throughout my entire life, life, hiring people, managing them. So I was used to it. So I was like, my friend told me about the one in the co-working space, told me about VAs in the Philippines. He heard about it because he does like a lot of, you know, like blog writing. And I was like, cool, onlinejobs.ph, started hiring, disaster, um, long story. But um, eventually solved that problem and started hiring more staff. And then I broke up with my girlfriend for six years. We've been together six years. We'd lived together for that time. And my friend said to me, Tom, you know what you should do? You should go to Thailand because that's where everyone goes. Like, you know, when you're like, I was, I was basically my business because I was in London. I had to do it online because with my girlfriend, we were planning to leave London. So I couldn't have an office. So everything was kind of remote. So the net, he said to me, you've got an online business. Why don't you go to Thailand? And he literally loaded up a webcam of the beach in, I think it's Koh Samui. And was like, you should go there. And he just pointed at like this beach on the webcam. I was like, man, I want to go there. So that day, that night, I booked a ticket for a month's time to go to Thailand for four weeks. And um, then what happened was I sold everything and I said, I'll go for four weeks and I'll come back. And obviously I'll have a new apartment because I bring up my girlfriend. I went to Bangkok, I went to Phuket and I went to Chiang Mai. And if anyone's been to Thailand, that's like the digital nomad place to go. And I got, I was on week three and I called my sister up and was like, hey, Claire, it's Tom. She's like, hey, Tom, how are you? I was like, I'm good, thanks. I said, um, I'm just, just to let you know, I'm not coming home. She's like, oh, okay, cool. No, when are you coming home? I was like, no, no, I'm not coming home ever. Like, I love this digital nomad lifestyle. I think it's like incredible. Like the weather's amazing, life's super cheap. Like, why would I not want, why would I want to come back to rainy, horrible old England? Um, that was about five years ago. And I've been like traveling ever since. I did, um, should you say, in, I did five, six months in Thailand where I drank for five nights, so six nights a week for five <laughs> months straight. Like disaster, hit 30 years old and just go off the wall, six year relationship breakup. I thought my life was my business was going to fail, like massively going to fail. You know it's going to fail when your purchasing manager decides to buy 26-inch leg, 36-inch waist of like, you know, Levi jeans. I was like, who who wears this? You know, it's just like I wasn't paying attention to my business. So I moved to Vietnam at the time. I spent two years there. And when I was in Vietnam, I started Fast Track FBA because I wanted, I didn't like what other people were doing and I wanted to do something myself. So I was like, I want to share what I can do. And I created the YouTube channel. That was fantastic. And we've done a whole massive service from there, like leads, VAs since then. And then I've moved from like Vietnam to, I've traveled all of Asia. I've done like Lithuania, lived in Gran Canaria for a while. I now, I went to live in Cancun after that for six months. Now I'm in Mexico City. I've been here about a year and a half. Absolutely love it. I like, I think it's the best place ever. And, uh, and then also about, I think about 18, maybe two years ago, 18 months ago, we started Amazon USA. So right now, and to kind of bring it back to right now to where we are today, I live in Mexico City. Um, I love to travel. I, I spent the whole of January in the Philippines. I currently run Amazon UK only arbitrage. Last 12 months, we did about 3 million. Fast Track FBA, service company that you know that we do a lot of there. And then USA, we, in the last 12 months, we've done about 1.2, maybe, don't quote me. Um, I don't have the app on my phone. Um, but I really, like at a very fundamental level, uh, when I was 24 in the bar management, I was earning really good money, probably like living in a city where you needed $20,000 to live off. And I was earning a hundred thousand. And I was like, 
because all the bonuses and everything, I was buying champagne. I was having a nice life. And at the end of it all, I had nothing to show for it. And I still wasn't happy. And it kind of made me ask the question, like, if money wasn't the objective, but you had enough money to live off, what would you want to do? And I asked myself the question. The question was, was I would love to just go meet cool people who are doing really inspiring stuff. And I'd love to network with them, learn about them. But I'd like to have a go myself as well doing it. And I find business fascinating. I find it very creative. I find it very fun. But also it has a lot of upside. But also I really enjoy the networking side. Hence why I do like the YouTube. I do the connecting. I come to the events. Um, and I, uh, I, and also as well, at a fundamental level, I want to understand what people are doing, conceptualize it myself, model it, and to say, can I do it as well? And it's not to say that I can do it better or I'm, I'm right and they're wrong. It's to say that I like to learn. Like at the end of the day, it's just play. I like to have fun and I want to do that. And and uh, my ultimate, my dream is, is you have enough money that you don't worry about anything and I'm pretty much there. But also on the other side is that I, every day I get to wake up and do what I really love to do. Sometimes we have bad stuff we have to deal with, but I'm okay with that because the majority of the time I get to have fun and enjoy it. And it's like freedom to travel, freedom to go where I want, take my girlfriend where I want to go. And I really enjoy that. And obviously meet cool people like you guys and share the journey. Miles, correct me if I'm wrong, but that may have been one of the best intro spiels we've ever had on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, run, I run for Reezy's money for sure. Yo, and, yeah, not as long, but definitely yeah, as well, vivid, as engaging. That. And um, so we're going to get into all that. We're going to, we want to dive deep into all the different things Fine. that you're doing. Um, but to kind of get us going, can you break down the current operation as it stands within each of your Amazon Amazon stores and obviously Fast Track FBA, your, what the teams look like, what the structure looks like and how the operations are going? Good question. My God, I remember asking you exactly the same questions. I love structures. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to do a two part. One, I'm going to give you what the kind of operation was probably about five months ago, and then I'll give you what the operation is now. So about five months ago, we probably had, don't quote me, I get a report once a month. Uh, probably 80 staff across all three companies full-time BAs they only work for me they're not contractors and it's, they are my staff so I think in the U.S. business when we hit just below the million we we're probably about 800,000 we had one purchaser three sources and one admin BA maybe two admin BAs by that time could we start to see the volumes go up that's the structure that we tried to hold and then in the UK business we had one purchasing manager three purchasing assistants uh, I'd probably say 10 sources, don't quote me, I don't know the exact structure, two admin VAs, and, and that's it for those two businesses. Above them, I had what's known as my ops manager. So my ops manager is basically me, but he manages the business on a day-to-day -day basis as a, like an owner, should we say. And then also you had Fast Track FBA, and, and then Fast Track FBA had like the VA hiring service, the lead service, and like dev marketing, for example, we have like a HR function. Um, and then above that, you have me. Now, the reason why I give you that is because one thing we noticed probably, ooh, what was it, you know, six months ago was that uh, across three companies, I'm basically paying people in my UK business to go find a deal, and I'm paying the people in my lead service to go find the same deal. So across two companies, I'm paying twice the labor cost to go find the same opportunity, which I thought was just like completely stupid, like it was inefficient. So what we did is we said, look, we're going to take the lead service and we're going to merge it into my Amazon businesses. Also, you get the problem when you create lead services is the fact that they're not really Amazon sources. They go and find things for people who don't understand how to buy, if that makes sense. I'm not saying that the customers don't understand the buy, but the sources don't know what is a good deal, bad deal from a buying criteria metric. They only know, oh, it just meets 30% profit, three pound ROI, or three pound profit, should we say. So we merged the teams over. And the net result was, I think we blew up to like 22 sources in the UK and probably like, I don't know, don't quote me, 15 in the US. I don't know the exact number now. What I do know is right now across three companies, we're about 65 staff. We've lost quite a lot of people. We've also got quite a lot more stricter on our the sources that came over from the lead service to, to a higher standard. Um, and and what, what we wanted to do is to um, make the businesses more efficient. So my current operation within the UK and the US isn't reflective of what's known as a typical Amazon business. Why? because we've merged it with the lead service as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's confusing. 
<laughs> and we're still, by the way, we're, I'm always looking at the structure of my organization, the way we work. I'm trying to look for inefficiencies and I'm trying to ask myself questions about how can we do things better? And it's like, and I think you guys obviously do this. It's a constant battle of like understanding. Um, but I also understand that on another level, I, I teach people like what we learn and what we do. And I'm always kind of torn between number one I personally want an efficient operation which serves the business as well but also on the other hand one of the key founding principles that we wanted to do was to document the journey we want to create the environment that our customers operate in and allow that environment to facilitate questions answers and our working practices that we can share with our customers as well so it's hard it's hard because I run a big team, which necessarily might be overloaded for what would be a typical Amazon business of the revenue we're doing versus, you know, I think you could run it on three sources to do a million in the UK, in the US, for example, three sources, one purchase, one admin VA. I think that'd be an absolute fine for a seven figure business with a very hands-off person. Um, but right now we run a lot higher because we've pulled the, the lead service across. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so in, in terms of you, how in the weeds, how hands-on are you? in terms of day-to-day -day auditing leads, feedback for sourcers, buyers, admin VAs, what's your day-to-day -day look like? So uh, if I, operationally from an Amazon perspective, I will be doing Sunday night, my time, which is Monday morning Philippines, I'll do a one hour admin call, which is moving money around cash flow. They do that. I literally send them screenshots of the bank accounts and we do all the cash flow and then move it around, pay off credit cards. They tell me exactly what they need. Monday morning, my time, which is Sunday, Monday night, their time, I have a ops meeting with my operations manager, and he is going to give me a rundown on both the UK and the USA businesses. We have trackers that we go through, and we really understand the numbers that we're looking at, so we go through that. And that's it, pretty much, on a very fundamental level. Uh, the one thing which I've introduced quite recently is uh, I'm now, I've not been reviewing leads, I've not been reviewing purchases, like, I've not been reviewing anything of that for probably the best part of, like, year and a half two years should we say like and the one thing we've looked at this year is about we need to really get back in or i need to get back into that to do it to do it more to she say improve the systems but also as well my ops manager the guy who runs my business the reason why he joined me was the fact that he wants to go run an amazon business like that's his goal and i love that and i was like cool let's make sure that you're up to standard so one of our strategic goals over the course of the next year is to get him to the point that he can go run another Amazon business. And then also as well, he can run it in less time. So run the existing Amazon businesses in less time as well. So at a fundamental level, I run my business on two hours a week, that's both of them. I, I'm now probably going to go up to four hours a week. So I'm going to do one hour of the UK and one hour of the US. And then the other one we do on top of that is we do project work. So what do I mean by that? If I give an example, over the last three months, I've probably been spending between one to four hours a week working on repricing strategies. And what do I mean repricing strategies? How we do our repricer, what we do and how we analyze that. And then another project we've been working on, which has taken me probably 30 minutes a week, is doing the variance between uh, like Inventory Labs SDK, for example, versus zero cost of goods, trying to understand why their variance is and what they are and how we can minimize them on an ongoing basis. And again, just trying to tidy up the accounts and see what we can do. So. And, and if I kind of explain the whole kind of concept, it might sound a bit confusing. My fundamental vision behind everything that I do is that when I want to have time off, I want to have time off. So I have to be able to operate my business on as few hours per week as possible. So the minimum, very minimum I have to do across all three companies is cash once a week, once a week on a Sunday, 7 p.m. my time. That's it. I could probably survive for two or three weeks with just doing that. If I want my businesses to kind of maintain, I do the cash flow and I do the two ops meetings, which are on Monday morning, my time, which are talking to my ops managers around that. And they're okay. Like they'll kind of go through and I can help give the decision makers the, the, the feedback and the accountability they need. But if I want to grow and develop it even more, then I do the rest of the work that I talked about. Cool. And the reason why I have that is because when I want to come to Miami Sellers Conference, for example, or when I go to the Philippines for a month, I can flex my schedule. What I hate, and I absolutely hate at a fundamental level, is that having to look at a calendar and say, I have to do all this work. I'm like, I did not build this business to feel like I have a job. I built this business so that I could have a better quality of life. That was my priority.
And if that means I earn less money, I'm okay with that. Yeah, because it's it's tough to conceptualize that because the reason all of us started this was because we were very we were you know hustlers doing stuff on our own and everything. It's interesting to make that transition. Um, in terms of how you see integrating delegation to like just an Amazon like resign business essentially, because that's what a lot of our viewers have. How do you view that? Um, what should be the first thing that is delegated? Is it a prep center? Is it a VA? Is it an ops manager purchasing? How, how do you think about that? And then we can dig into more of that. It's, it's a great question. Um, it's really funny. Um, Saros, uh, you know, who obviously is doing eight figures, massive. We, we differ on it. He's like admin VA. I'm like no sourcing. Um, and I think you guys obviously talk about like admin as well. I think, I think the big thing we say is probably prep center first, Miles. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I would say prep center. Yeah, agreed. I think that's completely, definitely prep center. I think 100%. I think that's really good, especially if you're in the US and tax-free states, it has a massive impact upon, should you say, being a lot more cost-effective. But if you're talking about outsourcing to people, right. the majority of people that I deal with are people who have jobs and they are time poor, probably more cash rich. And in that case, I generally think that sourcing would be a better option to outsource under the provisor that they understand how to source and they are running a profitable business already. And the reason why I say that is because they have the money to invest, but they just don't have the time to find deals, for example. And the admin scales with uh, sourcing. So the more sourcing you do, the more admin, the admin you have. But if you can't find enough deals, there's really not much admin to do. But if you can find a sourcer who can be working while you're working, for example, or sleeping, and you can help support them, I think that can make a really big difference to your business. And, and again, like, and I think you guys are a testament to, I've, you know, I've interviewed you as well, is the fact that if you can get just enough, enough deals and then you form a mastermind and you all share the deals around that, yeah, now you start leveraging. Yeah, yeah, like everyone listening to this is one, one to five person, I guess two to five person iMessage group chat away from, from I'd say... 75% of what they want materially in terms of like freeing up your time, et cetera, uh, on that stuff. Like every single person is. Um, and most of you guys have never talked to a single person. So you haven't made any, given yourself a chance to even get that basically. And, and, and I, I think, and I think, and, and the reason is obviously, um, I, I'd say from a perspective of um, like the people who we attract, you guys are, she say, Unfortunately, you're younger than I am. So you generally attract a younger audience. And generally, the younger audience would be more time rich and probably a bit more cash poor. Not, but obviously, now is completely different. You know, I know like 22 year olds driving around Ferraris. It's like, oh my God. Um, but on the other side, I meet a lot of people who are more kind of in jobs. They want to get out of them and they're time poor, cash rich. And there's, you know, there's pros and cons and there's different ways of doing it. But when you talk about masterminding and, and sharing, that's a really important point. But if you can't bring value to that community, that mastermind is going to really challenge you. And I think by the fact that if you can bring leads in with a VA and maybe pool VAs, that has such a big impact. And, and I generally think that's the first way to go. Uh, the one thing I will say, managing staff is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Um, but if you ever want to get out of doing, if you ever want to have time freedom, it's generally one of the things you will have to do unless you have enough capital to invest in things like property and real estate, which are a lot more hands-off. And the majority of us don't have that option. So the only option we can really go down to is using leverage in regards, well, it's all about leverage. This is FBA is leverage. Capital yeah. credit card is leverage. We're just playing yeah, a leverage it's game. all over in there, yeah. People, <laughs> people is leverage. And it's one of the skill sets that I hate to say it, you have to learn because it's so powerful. And it's one of the hardest to maintain or do but, you know, I was lucky. I've had like 15 years of managing people and I share a lot about that, what I do. But I do believe at a fundamental level, it's a very important part of becoming an entrepreneur and learning that skill set. And it limits you if you don't learn that skill. Yeah, he's completely right. And I've I've been very deficient in and working on that. Like, it's cool, like waking up to products to buy and stuff. And I like legitimately like, I guess kind of had that leverage network wise, but never like directly, like solely reporting to me. Like, it, it's cool like when you wake up and like videos are getting edited and stuff. I mean, like you've, had a, you've had a video editor for quite for a, some like time a year, now. but the, yeah. either way, more so on the Amazon side of things, like, yeah. which is clutch. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy what's like possible with the geographic arbitrage and everything like yeah, that. Yeah. Can you kind of break down how that works just for people that might be unfamiliar, like the way the currencies change, like why you're living in these different countries too and everything, just the, the whole geographic arbitrage side of things? 
Um, so to you, like the classic one, you know, I meet a lot of Americans. So the classic one is earn American wage, live in a Mexican country and, and pay in pesos, you know, earn dollars, pay pesos. You know, the conversion would be amazing. Um, you know, at a fundamental level, the US is quite an expensive place to live. Um, add in the cost of healthcare on top of that, it comes really expensive. You can go to Thailand and pay a fraction of the healthcare. My God, you can probably go to Europe and get it for free. You know, in the, U in the UK, they don't even ask you where you come. They just do the operation and then say bye. <laughs> um, it's hilarious. Like I, when I lived in Vietnam, I had a Vietnamese girlfriend. And um, uh, what's funny is uh, we always talk about like, you know, entrepreneurship is risk. And when we talk about risk is like, you, you, you do upside versus downside, same as deal analysis. You know, what's the worst that can happen with this deal? What's the best that can happen? And I talked about like, if I go really hard and my business fails, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Well, I'll go back to the UK, um, I'll live with my dad, I'll probably get free healthcare and the government are gonna pay me some money. And my girlfriend was like, that sounds like a dream in Vietnam. And she was like, that's your worst? And you know, like, we don't worry about healthcare or anything. And it's like, it was incredible. So coming back to your question, like uh, I what I noticed in myself when the sun's out I'm a happy person and I really enjoy being happy so if I can see the sun I'm happy so generally I try and stay in warm countries Thailand a little bit too hot a bit humid not really perfect Mexico City by the way beautiful humidities I think it's like mid 70s all year round very lovely um, it's a capital city, 22 million people, so it's massive. It's got everything that you want. There's lots of green parks where I am. Um, also, those very like kind of European in architecture, um, like very safe. I don't worry about my safety here. And like thousands of restaurants, great, great quality. So I love it. And also, you can get into the US very, very quickly, like two hour flight. So my cost of living is really cheap. Like I probably pay myself about $4,000 a month. It's about three thousand pounds in the UK. That's a really good wage. In the US, you're like, how do you survive? Um, but in Mexico, you're like balling, like literally balling. And uh, but also as well, I can earn I can earn US dollars. I can earn British pounds. And then Fast Track FBA is a UK company that does that as well. Um, and really, because I'm in a different country, I'm not having to pay the cost, but I'm still earning the wage or from the business. Does that make sense? Does that answer sure, your yeah. question. So we actually have a friend that's in Argentina and he's, I think, starting to adapt to the whole working in Argentina, earning USD. What VPNs do you guys use? We use ExpressVPN, so I pay for it for my entire team. But if I'd be quite honest, the only other time I turn on the VPN is bank transactions. That's it. Like oh. Amazon, my God, I've, like January, I flew Mexico, Orlando, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Philippines, all around the Philippines, um, Doha, Madrid, back to Mexico City in one month, logged into Amazon Seller Central most of the time. And I've done that so many times, they've never asked a question. Like, it's fine. What is, but, but you're also not doing the purchasing. The purchase, yeah, that, I feel like that's yeah. the sourcing you would need a VA, yeah, VPN yeah. for, I would assume. Hence why we pay for, I think it's ExpressVPN or VPN Express, because I think they have the most data centers sure. that you can yeah, connect well, to, so they do it. Yeah. yeah, so that's the one we use. Um, but, uh, but I just turn on the VPN whenever I do purchasing or bank, because if you're on like a public connection, then it's right. really like it's more security risk. So yeah. on on Amazon Twitter, as you kind of progress through the year, there's like different buzzwords that, that everyone likes to throw around. In this time period, it's it's wholesales and VA, right? Okay. And so with that being said, a good majority of people who are listening to this episode either are looking for their first VA hired their first VA and it's not going well, or are somewhat in between of those two. And so for that person, what's the playbook? How do you hire the first VA? How do you audit them? How do you find the right one? How do you train them? And ultimately, how do you structure that entire process? So I'll kind of break it up because it's quite complex. I could be here for a very, very long time. And by the way, and I will come back to the point that this is like Amazon. You will never get it right. You'll always be learning. Yeah, major. Tweet. You have to approach it from that perspective. If you think you're going to hire a VA tomorrow and they're going to solve your problems, I promise you, you will fail, crash and burn. Do not think about it. This is a constant process you have to do, and you will hate it sometimes. But it's something that you have to do. Same thing as you hate Amazon sometimes, but you're appreciative of what they bring to you, and you're okay with it. So yeah. let's kind of break it down. Let's do um, attract. So obviously, if you want to know, I do a recruitment agency. We find, hire, and train a VA, fast track FBA. You can have a look. Let me do like a three month guarantee. But 
If you're going to do it on your own without using us, we do um, onlinejobs.ph is the predominant one that you're going to do for the Philippines. We actually do a lot more outside of this, and we have a lot of other channels that we advertise through and we connect, we have referrals from. But onlinejobs.ph is really what you're looking for. You're going to have to pay about 70 bucks per month to advertise, to post a job and to review them. Um, post a job up there. Be very specific about what you're looking for. And then I'd really recommend doing some form of test. Google Forms is quite a good one. Perhaps maybe you can put some like keeper charts on a Google Form and give them multiple choice answers. It'll pass it out to a Google uh, Excel spreadsheet. Why? My very first job ever as an admin VA, I got 250 applicants. Good luck trying to review that. Never going to happen. Um, rate of pay, you're looking about 25,000 pesos is a good rate of pay. It's um, it's a good rate of pay for what you're getting in the Philippines. Also, as well, you're What's working that, from home. UST? About, I think it's 440. It used to be yeah, 502. That yeah, that's but what it's I changed know. now. The currency, I think the US has gone down. I don't know. Like, um, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I, interesting because I do a lot of international kind of currency movement. Sure. I do oh, kind of yeah, watch definitely. it. Yeah. So, and obviously, I don't live in the US, but I do a lot of dollars. I'm like, why is it? What? Why have my rent's gone up? What's happening? Um, so, you're, you're looking at doing that as about $440, $500 per month. And then, then what you're looking for is, um, do a test, Google Forms, for example, that's going to be helpful. And then um, you're just going to kind of filter those people, get them down to like five to 10, for example, and interview them. And when you go through the interview process, top tip for you, I've done so much interviewing in my life. You're going to you're gonna, like never ask questions about the future. Always ask questions about the past. Um, always ask, when they give you an answer, dig into more detail. So tell me about this job. Like, um, why did you choose this job? Oh, I chose that because of that. Cool. Tell me a bit more about that. Like, why, why, why? What happened? Like, you've got to dig into the detail. And at a very fundamental level, what I'm doing when I'm interviewing is I'm looking through a CV and I'm trying to understand why did you take this job? Why did you take that job? Why did you take that job? Why did you take that job? And I'm trying to understand how you make your thought processes going through each different part. And the reason why that's really important is because I want to understand how you think. Because if I can understand how Miles thinks, then I know that if this is going to be a good decision for him to move into this job, or also as well, if it's not, and also when he's likely to leave. I'm trying to understand, like, does this work with you? For example, if I'm paying you 25,000 pesos and your last job was 40,000, you're probably not going to stay. You're going to go for the next higher paying job. If you're hating the corporate world and want to work from home, this is going to work for you. If you really like researching on the internet and play a lot of time on the internet, fantastic, you might like this. If if you're a really creative person, you've always done video editing, uh, I'm like, why the hell are you wanting to do this? And, I, and by the way, I downplay my job all the time. I'm like, this is the worst job you're ever going to have. I'm a tyrant. You will hate me. Um, you're going to do copy and paste for the rest of your life and you're going to hate it. And if they come back to me and say, yeah, it sounds great, sir. I'm like, okay, then maybe they might be interested but I'm trying not to sell them on. I'm trying to get them to say no. Um, and I'm trying to get them to understand. And, I, and at a very fundamental level, I'm trying to get them to, un, I'm trying to understand why do they want this? What, why is this important for them? That's an important point. So, um, and I'm going through that whole process. So, and by the way, if you want to know, I've got a YouTube video on you. It's about an hour long. It's actually me interviewing BAs. Oh, you can see so the questions cool. I asked. Oh my. It's got like a hundred thousand views. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. So do that. You can even download a free contract from us. We have a contract that you can get as well. Um, so job description, you write, you write the contract, that's fine. And then uh, we go through, we go th so I always work on a 90 day process. In the corporate world, I learned the, uh, the 90 day process. So you do like the training. The, basically the 90 day concept is you have a 90 day probation period. The first month, they take value from your business. The second month, they kind of flatline the value. The third month, they add value back to your business. And the net result over the 90 days is that they're net eat, they break even. And then after that, they then extend. So I generally don't expect much in regards to sourcing BAs like in excellence until after 90 days. But I will give you some measurables, which I think are really important. Then I'll go into a bit more granular. Uh, in, our, in our VA Academy, so what do we look for? We look for month one, um, two to five deals per day that you can buy. By the way, do not track deals submitted. It's a completely useless metric because yeah. your VA is just going to send you crap that you're not going to buy and they're going to feel good. Like, paper doing that. Lead doesn't make sense. Yeah, maybe paper yeah. bot lead makes sense. 
Oh yeah, agreed. Like I wouldn't pay per lead. I pay per lead purchased. Fine, that would possibly work. Because if you, by the way, if it's out of stock, it's not a good lead. You're paying for something that you can't. It's not going to profit you. Yeah. So two to five deals month one. Month two is five to eight deals, and month three we say eight to twelve. But technically, we move to a spend target rather than a revenue target. And the reason why we do that is because we all know it. If a supplier limits you to three or like five, it's annoying. But if another supplier can do a thousand, I'd much rather have that supplier. So by transitioning from a number of deals to spend, you incentivize them to go towards bigger purchasing suppliers and spend more time sourcing there. Um, and then what we generally see, they'll go on and on and on. Like they'll, 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 she say, succeed. A couple of things which I would say just to really help people if they're looking at hiring VAs. Number one, like we have a quite clear structure. Um, a couple of things. Whenever you have a VA, define time in your calendar. We do one hour a day and you tell your VA if they've got any questions, they bring it to that meeting. And you're, what's going to happen is your VA is going to send you a message and you're going to want to reply. And you say, great question, bring it to the meeting. You do not reply straight away. Why? The reason is, I know you want to help them and you want to help them, but what you're going to do is your VA is going to get a bit lazy. And they're going to go, I've got a question, I'll ask, sir. I've got another question, I'll ask, sir. I've got another question. And you'll be like, man, I'm sort of like, you're supposed to be like saving my time. And all you're doing is just taking up my time answering these questions. And what you want them to do is bring it to the question, the session. Why? Because what's going to happen is they're going to have to think about the question and the answer before they ask you. But also as well, you're compartmentalizing, time boxing, really important. Now, in that meeting, the way we do it, the structure we operate by, first five minutes, how are you, how are you getting on? Non-business talk. I'm interested in learning how they're doing. Like, I want to hear like, did you sleep well last night? Because if you didn't sleep well, you're probably stressed. And I'm understanding, like, is there a stress going on? And if there's stress, I'm going to ask why. Why didn't you sleep? Four days now, you've not been sleeping very well. What's happening? So I'm going to really ask around that. Number two, I'm going to ask, um, give me some good news. Give me something that's great. Why? Because a lot of times these meetings, we're looking at negativities. I want some positives. And then I'm going to go into, right, um, before we start, let's define the goals. And I want to be very, very crystal clear here. What is it that we are here to achieve? Today, in this meeting right now, we're going to review your deals so that we can buy between two to five deals today, that we can buy today. That's the success criteria. Why we always have to come back to the goal. If we're not clear about the goal, if it isn't completely clear, then we don't know what success looks like. We don't know what failure. And I would actually ask that question by VA. Why are we here today? And the VA will be like, we're here today to review the deals so we can get two to five that we can buy. Cool. And I'll ask the VA that. Why? Because they need to know what success looks like, not me. I already know that. And if they can't tell me that answer, then I haven't done a good enough job communicating to them about what success is. And then we'll go through, right, show me your deals. Let's go through it. And the way I do it over the three months, I really recommend is month one, you're doing the deal analysis. Month two, you're both doing a bit of deal analysis. Month three, you don't do any of the deal analysis. And, I'll be, and it kind of sounds a bit crazy, but what do I mean? Let's say, for example, a VA gives you a deal. Instead of going, I like this, I like that, I like that, you go, okay, what, tell me about this deal. What do you think? You know, what do you think about it? And you want them to do the analysis live on the call with you. Now, let's say, for example, you know, a classic one is like the keeper chart, like sales ranks a bit bad, or maybe the new seller counts going up and the, and the price is going down. And maybe they haven't spotted that. Instead of going them, look at the new seller count, look at this, you can only ask questions. So it'd be like, okay, so tell me about what's going on with the new sell account is going up. Okay, cool. And what about the, the buy box price is going down? Okay, so if the new sell account keeps going up, what do you think is going to happen with the, new, the buy box price? Oh, it's going to keep going down. Cool. And how will that affect our profitability? Oh, it's not going to be good. And how long does it take for us to buy the product today and get it shipped in? Oh, about two weeks. So if we had to guess, what would the price be in two weeks time? Oh, it'd be this. Cool. Let's run that through the calculator. What's the profit? Oh, that's not very good. So do you think we should buy this deal or not? No, I don't think we should. And what you're doing is you're role reversing. So when you start, you're telling them. And then when you get to the end of the three months, you're now getting them to tell you. And it's an education process. But and the habit we have as you know, business owners is we tell, we tell, we tell. And guess what the VA does? Yes, sir. No, sir. And the top tip I'll tell you, if you hear yes, sir, or no, sir, to questions that you've asked, you haven't asked a good question. They should give you an answer back, not a like a... Yes, sir. No, sir. And it's like, so again, we want to get to the point whereby we're trying to train people to think for themselves. And the way we get them to think for themselves is we ask questions. And I do it with my team all the time. I'm like, you are going to hate me. You will hate me because I will not tell you the answer. I will answer you, ask you questions all the time. And again, what we're trying to do is get them to think so that I don't have to manage them so much. Makes sense. That's like the, uh, the Socratic method or something like that. I have no idea, but I've learned uh, it and I've, I've heard it, but it's, it's, 
the classic one is I, the classic one you get is you get a business owner who has three VAs, for example, and they still want to step out and they can't ever get past that one level of them directly managing. And the reason is, is because they're always telling the staff what to do and the staff need them to do the answers. And what you're looking for is to be able to extract yourself further and further out. How did Jeff Bezos build his company? And I'm not saying everyone here wants to be Jeff Bezos, but the idea is, is that you need people to think for themselves, good people. But that isn't just about hiring good people. If you hire good people and tell them what to do, they'll start coming into a yes, no fashion. What you really want to be doing is getting them to think for themselves. And you do that through good, good leadership and good questioning. Um, and, and that's the way I do it. And I find it really effective. And I also, I say, I ex and by the way, like when we're on the fence, like I'm not sure, Sometimes I'll let my VA buy it and I'll be like, let's, put, let's go in the calendar right now. And that meeting there, we're going to review this deal because I want them to learn. It's the learning the most important point. Okay. By the way, uh, oh, yeah. it's a lot of work. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but that's what gets you down the line after three months, after six months, after a year, some of that lifestyle freedom that you start to slowly acquire that all of us are yeah. looking for, you know, and I got a lot of work to get and uh, everything. So I asked you this in Miami, but I'd love to share with the audience as well. Yeah. Um, something I have a lot of limiting beliefs around would be the VAs actually purchasing stuff. So how do you set up that infrastructure as well as just from a security perspective, get that set up the way it should be. Um, so you're not getting, you know, money taken and, and everything, which potentially could happen at scale. I'll do security, then I'll do how to set it up operationally. Um, security, there are two things you need to consider. One is the fact that you have the classic one, which is if they do something wrong, I'm going to fire them. We have rules and procedures. Um, you know, we, we have the, the negative consequences of, as you say, bad things happening, i.e. them buying themselves themselves. You've got to have them absolutely fine. You know, there's lots of documentation around them. That's cool. You can find that online, not a problem. The other side you really want to look at is actually the motivational side. The, the, the side whereby um, if someone were to break into your purchasing manager's house tomorrow, the first thing they're doing is swallowing the credit card details. Like, you know, that's the thing that they're going to save. And the question is, how do you get there? So a couple of things you want to think about is, number one, build a great working environment. So your team feel empowered, they feel that they're recognized for the great success, they're rewarded for the great success. Um, they really enjoy it. We do quality of life surveys, Gallup's 12 questions, it makes a big impact. We do um, you know, check-ins with my team. At a fundamental level, I know about who my team are, I care about them on a personal level. And I think that's it. Like, I have a phone call with my camera on. Like, I, by the way, if, you have, if you've got a VA right now, turn your camera on. If there's one thing I can recommend, do that. Like, just show your face, this is called communication. Visual yeah, communication. If you want to meet any anyone, do that. Yeah, like <laughs> I do. But how many clients right now just talk about through WhatsApp? Or if they do have a call, it's no cameras. I'm like, no, come on, like communicate with people. So um, recognize who they are. You know, give them recognition, give them support, care about them on a personal level. You have to be able to understand where they're going in life. If you don't understand why they're working for you and you don't understand what they want from this company, then you will never know when they're about to quit or when there's a problem. Like I said to you earlier on, my ops manager wants to become an Amazon seller. So I know that so long as I'm helping him towards that goal, he will do anything. But the moment I change that, he's going to start getting a bit disgruntled. If I'm like, hey, you're never, I'm not going to teach you this because I don't want you to know it. He'll be like, well, I don't think you can help me. And he'll probably go somewhere else where he can find that because it's helping him on his path. Interesting enough, I had a lot of conversations with my staff. I'm like, the question you ask is, when you leave here, what are you going to do after this job? Because by understanding what you're going to do, it's going to help me understand what I can do now that's going to align with that goal. And I'm going to understand where you're going. So and um, what else do we do? Uh, recognition support. It's about getting to know them. Incentive plans. If you ever want to read a book about incentives, Freakonomics, one of the best, most engaging books I've ever read. Free, who's it? Freakonomics? Freakonomics. Right? Yeah, it's incredible. And the reason why I love it is it tells you how incentives can go wrong, which, which is very, very important, especially in our game of managing people. But at a fundamental level, we do it whereby we pay out a percentage of the net profits to our, our, our staff. And the purchasing manager gets the highest proportion of it because they have the biggest responsibility, but I want them to be rewarded for the success of the company. So that's what I'm after. I'm after them doing a really, really good job. So that's the kind of like how they get on and what they do. And then we have the operation. So at a very fundamental level, we never buy in. We always promote from sourcer up to purchaser. Number two, what we do is if you have two sources that you like, and the classic one is you go for your best sourcer, don't do it. 
Like you need to look at a different metric. It's not the one who can give you the most deals. It's the sourcer who will give you the most deals that you buy as a percentage of deals submitted. If someone submits 20 deals and I buy 10, that's a 50% rate. If someone submits eight deals and I buy seven, I can't do the math, you know, it's like 90%, for example. Um, but what I'm looking for is it's much easier to improve someone. And what you're trying to do is good deal analysis, because if they can't analyze what a good deal is, you're going to be buying rubbish. So if someone who's got an 87% rate, you can, with your training, you can get them to 95, whereas someone who's at 50% good deal rate, you're going to get them to 60, 70. And by the way, that's a lot of bad buys you're making. That's what you're looking for. Also, number two is before you promote them up, there's a saying, get it, want it, have the capability to do it. And it's particularly the want it part. Too many people promote people into purchasing manager roles who never wanted to do it in the first place. So what I always say is, I put a job advert out internally. Hi guys, I'm looking for a purchasing manager. I'm gonna be training them up. Here's what we're gonna be doing. If you are interested, please send me a video. Please write me a sentence, send me an email, drop me a DM, it doesn't matter. If you don't want it, I don't wanna give you the job. My God, like at the end of the day, that's called a disaster. So get them to take the action. And the reason why that's really important is because if they get to the point where it's hard, and by the way, it will be hard, I can turn around and go, well, you wanted this. This is what you wanted. You applied for this. Not like, I didn't want this, sir. Like you told me I had to do it and I didn't want it. Like I can change the paradigm that we view it. So get them to apply, have an interview, fantastic, promote them up. And then what we do is, I think it's really a three-stage process, call it three months. Purchasing is just a administrative role in regards to actually doing the purchasing part of it. It's everything prior to that. So the first part is deal analysis in regards to good deal, bad deal. If I were to give you a success metric, you can go through a hundred deals together and 90% you agree on, yes, I would buy or no, I wouldn't. So the course of one month, you're looking at every day, you're going through the deals you've got. Would you buy it? No, you're not. And you're looking for why, why, why? And you're looking for correlation between your, yes, I would. And when you don't get, you know, you want to buy it and they don't, why? And you're trying to align your understanding of deal analysis. That's month one. Month two is we now know what a good deal looks like. How many do we buy? So now you're going to go through the training process again, teaching people how you do your, your purchasing. I can't begin to tell you the number of sellers who say, oh, I just kind of feel it. Doesn't Can't do that. Sorry, you've got to stop that. It's you've true. got to say, you've got to say, it's I need to be able to write my process down on a bit of paper and give it to my VA. And my VA is going to follow it. And when they get something that I don't agree with, then I need to change the process. It needs to be a systematic way. And your measure of success is by the end of the month, you are pretty much getting, again, 90 out of 100 deals, you're getting very similar results. Obviously, some of them might be like, you know, I'll buy 20, you buy 25, fine. But if you say buy 20 and they say buy 2,000, whoa, there's something wrong there. You've got, to, you've got to get that alignment. And then the third month is a really simple month. Okay, what you've done is you now know good deal, bad deal. You know how many to buy. So we're going to do four weeks. Week one, I think it's four weeks. Week one is um, I'm going to, we're going to, you're going to do all that deal analysis before, I'm going to come on the call with you. I'm going to quickly do the deal analysis as well. I agree. Let's take these three deals and let's go put them in the basket and let's buy them. You're going to watch me. Fantastic. And then towards the end of that week, you're going to be telling me live on the call what to do. I'm getting you to understand the process. Week two, you're going to do the deal analysis and then you're going to put them in the baskets for me. And then on the call, we're going to put the credit card in together and then I'm going to watch you put it on the buy sheet. And then you probably do that for like a week, two weeks. It does take a while. And then finally, week three is that you are now going to do the deal analysis, number to buy, put them in the basket. You are going to buy them just before my call. And then we are going to review the purchases you just made. Why? Because you can still cancel an order within like a few hours of it being purchased and it doesn't really matter. And again, what you're doing is you're just reviewing those orders and you still have the safety net that you can cancel if you think it's a bad order. And then what you do is you just start checking less and less and then over the course of the next two weeks, you start checking, checking less, and all you're doing is spot checking after that. Make sense? Yeah, I love it, man. That, that's so like cool. hands off doing all that. Yeah, awesome. yeah, and even just like little things, like taking up little. It's like death by a thousand cuts, or like victory by a thousand small wins. You know, slowly getting these, like okay, getting video editing out of the way, or getting you know ten percent of your sourcing out of the way. And I got to really work on all that stuff, but it, I liked seeing it done so well, like learning from you and everything on it. A good. If I can show you, the good thing to think about is uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. Start with the end in mind. Yeah. Um, define what success looks like for you. So, okay, I want to be spending 100000 a week, for example, or like 10000 a week, and I want to be doing it one hour a week. Well, you can't do that, but your staff can. Okay, cool. So I'm going to spend 
15 minutes a day, for example, I know it doesn't add up to an hour, reviewing the purchases. I'm okay with that. That's what I'm happy with. So then once you define the end, work your way back going, what do my team need to do? How do they need to operate so that I can check their deals in 15 minutes a day? Then what does the training look like to get me to that success criteria? You're just working backwards. And then last thing, very selfish question. Um, how do you go about SOPing like what websites you can buy a lot on, what websites you can't? Because like specifically with OA, that's a big, big problem, obviously. The way I like to approach the whole problem is most people will create a sheet and be like, this is the sheet you need to check. I will try and do it a slightly different way. I will be like, we've identified a problem here. Can you create the sheet? Can you keep it updated? Can you share this information? I'm trying, what I want to think about is like, these are problems, these are monkeys, and I'm trying to give them to other people. It's not my job to update the sheet. It's my job to teach them how to create a sheet which they can update themselves. I'm not going to tell them what to put on the sheet. I'm going to show them a process whereby they can keep the sheet always updated. So um, we might have a session, let's call it like suppliers, bad suppliers session, for example. Cool, I'm going to tell you five suppliers right now. And maybe I have a sheet already, but I might be like, look, okay, how do we manage this? What do we need to know about? So these suppliers, I think we need to record the supplier name. We need to record the date that we found them. We need to record the reason why. And we probably want to review it every quarter, for example, to find out has it changed? Because that's like an, an inroad. Um, but again, I'm creating that document or my team are creating that document. And what I'm trying to do is get them to build internal processes and work on them without me. And, and, and the reason why I'm doing this is because if you do it and tell them to do it, they will do exactly what you said and nothing more. Yep. But if you change the question saying, how can we do this? Or how can you fix this problem? Or suddenly it now becomes a living document which they're updating. And then you might just have that as part of your Monday morning, let's review the buy sheet or let's review the, the bad supplier sheet. And it's a three, a one minute check. Any new additions this week? Oh, tell me why, cool. Accountability, by the way, with delegation at the end of the day, Everything is still your responsibility. If, you're, if your team mess up, that's your fault. I hate to say it, it's your fault because you didn't check in on them. I've had years, I've had bad results. I've had you know, bad buys, everything. That's my fault, not theirs. And if it continues, it continues to be my fault. So we have to do accountability. But I do think at a fundamental level, what you want to do is you want to challenge your team to create the culture internally so that it becomes a living and breathing document. It's not something you're telling them to do. It's something that they do themselves. Does that help? Oh, dude, absolutely, man. That's He's awesome. a wizard. Yeah, yeah, real good. And where can people follow up with you on socials? Check out some of the some of your offerings and just the, the other content you got going on. Fast Track FBA, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, website, fasttrackfba.com. Yes, fasttrackfba.com. Yeah, all that. I got that good tutorial. A lot of good content yeah. on there and everything. Thank dude, you. thanks a lot. It was awesome meeting you like two weeks ago as well, too. It was awesome. Hope we can do it again Thank sometime. You. Everything, go check out Fast Track. Thank you guys for listening. I will see you guys in the next one. Thank you very much.